Well, tonight we want to talk about modesty for a few moments because Paul was addressing that issue in a broader context in 1 Corinthians 11. And so, in your view of modesty and your study of modesty in the Bible, where does your study of modesty start? We preached on this several years ago, did a little mini-series on it. Uh, where, where should your um, sphere of understanding of a Christian and, and modesty before God start in the Bible? Um, I think it starts in Genesis with the story of Adam and Eve when they ate of that fruit and they realized that they were unclothed. In the very first time in the Bible where you have this idea of sin, it's connected with nakedness and shame. And immediately they went to trying to cover themselves, and they did a very poor job of doing it. As I mentioned to you, uh, fig leaf aprons had the consistency of number two grit sandpaper, and they just did a horrible job. And, it show, and, and of course, that shows you the futility of works-based religion, um, those fig leaves and their efforts to cover, them, to cover their shame. All of our good works and all of our efforts could never cover our shame. Uh, it took the sacrifice of an animal to give them coats of skins. Of course, that was a picture we know of, of Jesus and what he would do in clothing us with the garments of salvation. And so Christian modesty is, really starts there with an understanding of the gospel. And Paul, in a roundabout way, was going to be addressing modesty in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians because of the woman and having her head covered and what that said um, about her marital status and about her um, morals and her ethic. And so Paul really, in that sense, is addressing modesty in a broader context. And so tonight I want to talk to you about what is it that, what are the components that make someone modest? Is it just in what they wear? And I think we would all say here tonight that modesty isn't just an issue of dress code. Um, although that is a piece of it, and, and so, yes, if we're going to be modest, it's going to affect how we dress. But what are the components that really uh, give to us an understanding of, of modesty? And so there's three things that I believe God desires for all of us to, to, um, to have as a part of this idea of modesty in our, in our lives. And so I believe I've shared some of these truths before, but I want to go back and just review some of these with us because I believe all these are important in the discussion that we have on modesty because modesty does not start outward and work its way inward. It starts truly from inside and works its way to the outside in how we look and how we care ourselves. So number one tonight, I want to talk to us this evening about this concept of humility and what it means to have Christ-like humility. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And so Peter says here that we should be clothed with humility. Peter instructs Christians to clothe themselves with humility. That would be a great garment to don this week, to wear this week. That would be a great garment for us to wear into church. And uh, that would be a great thing for us to keep in mind as we carry ourselves about in our personal relationships with others. Humility. What is humility? Humility is the ability for us to say that well, we don't know everything. 
we are still learning. We have much to still learn. We, um, I wrote this down about humility. I thought this was a beautiful um, way to describe humility. Are we willing just to be another wallflower that clings to the cornerstone, letting our presence here on earth only serve to draw attention to him? Humility desires to make much of Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. That's the heart of humility. The heart of humility is to uh, love one another, understanding that all of us are in need of God's mercy and grace. And so Peter here instructs Christians to clothe themselves with humility. Peter illustrates this humble attitude by describing godly women who in humility place themselves under the authority of their husbands. And so here Peter says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Can you imagine what would churches look like today if they had this as a part of their understanding of modesty, that they would be clothed with humility? The grace of humility is essential for submitting to authority and is a rare and precious adornment for both a Christian lady but also for a Christian man. It's also beautiful for a Christian man. It's beautiful when a Christian brother or sister is able to humbly submit themselves to those who God has called to lead them. And so this is a great quality to possess. It affects why we do what we do, including why we choose certain clothes and how we wear them. So think about it. If we have that heart of humility, then what we wear, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. And so it's not about, ooh, if I wear this, I'll get the extra looks. You already know right there that that's not humble. That's drawing attention to oneself. It's not drawing attention to Jesus. And so humility says, I don't want to be the main attraction here. I don't want to be the one who's in the limelight. I want Jesus to receive that. I love this quote. Someone said this. They said, real Christians love to fade into the background, serving the needs of others, asking Jesus to take center stage. That's humility. We've been freed to have a truly modest, nondescript life and countenance, which will make the world wonder why we're not fighting for our social status and incidental preferences. Perhaps we can be so liberated from human approval and praise that they begin to inquire, they begin to inquire, who are you? Look at him. Do you see the heart of humility there? The heart of humility, I don't need to be recognized. I can do what God has called me to do. I can fade into the background. I can let Jesus take center stage. No matter how we dress, if we are filled with pride in the midst of our modesty and carry a superior disdain for others who dress differently than we do and even believe that they're wrong, we show that we misunderstand from the get-go what modesty really is because modesty begins with a heart of humility. And that's a rare thing today. You know, you know you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit when you're not humble. You know what a heart of humility also is able to say? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, I need to do that differently. Yeah, I failed there. A humble heart's able to admit their faults. And that's what we need more of in churches today. And I hope that that can be said of our church, that we're walking in the Spirit, and as we walk in the Spirit, we have a heart 
of humility. So modesty, what are the components of a modest life? It starts with humility. It starts by saying we want Jesus to get the attention. We don't want what we wear or how we, com- or how we carry ourselves to draw attention to ourselves. We want Jesus to get the focus and the attention. Humility. Number two, though, not only is this, there this component of humility in this discussion of modesty, but also there's this issue of purity. So humility and then purity. If you look back in 1 Peter 3, verses 2 through 4, um, you can turn there here. Just go ahead and turn. 1 Peter 3, verses 2 and 4. Peter says here in verses 2 through 4, he says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Do you see, even there, Peter is driving us to the true sense of the word modesty, that modesty does not start outward and work its way inward. It starts on the inside and works its way outward. So it starts with the heart of humility, but number two, it has this great sense and um, desire for purity, cleanness. I love this picture here. He says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Who's that hidden man? It's the new man that desires you to be pure in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. In the Bible, the word pure in the King James is often translated with this word chaste, as he says there, while they behold your pure or chaste conversation. Notice that purity is something that comes out from the hidden man of the heart. Also, this word conversation here, it means lifestyle. It means how we carry our lives. So purity isn't just what you wear, Purity goes to the core of who God has made you to be in the new man. I I told uh, the couple that I'm working with this morning, I said, there's a part of you that's brand new that can't wait to get to the outside. And our job at Fairview is to help you figure out how that new man gets to the outside and lives every single day reflecting Jesus. Purity. And so purity isn't just what you wear it's who you are. This, this lifestyle goes to uh, the, the, the jokes that you tell, the jokes that you entertain, the things that you watch or listen to, the desires that you have, how you interact with men and women. Purity even goes, and dare I say, purity, purity even goes to this issue of an overly flirtatious lifestyle. Let that not be said of us, that as believers in Christ, that we are overly flirtatious with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are here to guard one another, to love one another, to be modest in our behavior with one another. Why? Because this is what the Spirit wants. This is what the Spirit truly desires. And so humility and purity. And then we see the third component of a modest Christian life, a, a a life that's not just modesty in dress, although that's a component, but, but these are core issues of the heart. So it's, so it's humility, it's purity, and then number three, discretion or appropriateness. Some would call this sensibility. Turn over to 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. 
back to 1 Timothy, where we started tonight. So before Peter addresses the women teaching situation, usurping authority and leadership in the church, he addresses this issue of sensibility, of appropriateness and discretion in what the women were wearing. And by the way, this also applies to us as men, but, uh, but with women here specifically, as Paul is addressing it, it says, in, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls, pearls or costly array. Um, so is Paul against jewelry? Was he saying to sell all your jewelry? I don't believe so. I believe what he was saying is, is don't let that be the things that draw the attention to yourself. Um, the belief is, and this is a cultural issue, the belief is, is in the first century, people carried great significance in their affluence and the jewels that they had and the ornaments that they had. And Paul's saying, again, that's not to be the focus. Can you have nice jewelry? Sure. But don't let that be the total focus of your outward deportment, of your, um, of your lifestyle. Um, 1 Timothy, uh, or Proverbs 11, verse 22, I love this verse. <laughs> Such a descript verse. Proverbs eleven twenty two 22 says, As a jewel of gold in a swine snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. That's such a descriptive verse. As a jewel of gold in a swine snout, so is a fair woman without discretion. Um, ladies, can I just say this? For good, godly men, they see past just the fairness of your beauty. And there is something for a good, godly man that is truly, um, in, in a healthy way, I'm not talking about in a sexual way, but just in a good, pure way, there is something truly attractive about a woman who is not only fair in their complexion and in their outward beauty, but they also are full of wisdom, and they're full of the Holy Spirit. And so um, the Word of God here is clear. Um, so if we take these three words, humility, purity, and sensibility or appropriateness, and put them together, I think we get a good picture of what modesty should look like. And how those inward attitudes of the thoughts and the heart lead themselves outwardly to where, again, it's not a question of, am I allowed to? It's a question of, what's best? And how do I bring the most glory to God and bring attention to Christ? And so, modesty is an attitude of humility that seeks to please God rather than to please man or to please oneself. It is characterized by restraint and spirit-led control, and there is dignity in dress, speech, and actions. Modesty is a product of pure thinking, and it's not determined primarily by what you wear, although it will be seen in what we wear and in how we behave. You don't become modest simply by putting on a modest outfit. And I think that's so important for us to keep in view that just because we have on a modest outfit does not mean we're automatically modest. I've seen some pretty modestly dressed ladies who like to flirt. That's not modest. Being appropriate or sensible requires discretion to evaluate what is modest in each situation. So how does this apply to us in here tonight? Well, I think we as parents 
as grandparents, as the older generation, have a responsibility to continue to shepherd the next generations of young people coming up. And these decisions are, are primarily placed upon the responsibility of the father in the home. And Rebecca will tell you, we have regular conversations about this in our home. And uh, that, that's a continual thing that we are working through, trying to show our, our children even, that it isn't just a matter of what you wear and what you don't wear, but it's a matter of your heart and why you do this and what you're trying to communicate through doing this. And so although it is true that modesty in some ways equals what you wear, it's true that what we wear and how we wear it can be either modest or immodest. Modesty is a way of thinking that is characterized by humility and purity, and, the resu- and it results in sensible and appropriate actions. And that's exactly what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 11. He was saying, listen, here is the sensible and appropriate decision. There's nothing, there's not an issue here with whether this is a sin or not, as far as God did not make this law in the Old Testament that said, thou shalt not go with your head uncovered. But the issue was what was sensible in that culture. And like it or not, we live in a culture where there is, and of course, I know that there's this discussion that goes on in our heads tonight, even as I go back through some of these principles. And and the question becomes, well, where's the line? All I know is what one Supreme Court justice said when they had this big lawsuit about uh, decency and pornography and how they were, you know, of course, these are always battles going on in our culture of what's free speech. And, you know, some people argue, well, everything's free speech, and we should have all these wicked things just easily available. And one Supreme Court justice, one of the conservatives, said, well, I I can't exactly describe to you what indecency is, but I know when I see it. And when it comes to modesty and some of those issues, um, I believe that there is a clear line that the world can clearly say, hey, we know that's wrong. But even within the local church, we can say, okay, we know that that is drawing attention to oneself. Now, and here be, here's, here's the question then. When that happens, as you have a church that is growing and is growing together in grace, how do you address those issues? Well, in the spirit of meekness, in the spirit of humility, in the spirit of having a heart for the other individual, talking to, if it's a child issue, talking to parents one-on-one, discussing those things with them, um, because that's where the disciple-making needs to occur. And so the way we need to handle that as we grow and as we talk about what it means to make disciples is we need to allow the parent to play that primary role in those children's lives. And so going to parents and, and, and uh, helping parents work through these issues with their kids. And so how do we put these principles into practice and make application in both our personal lives and corporate lives together? Well, I read this quote. I thought it was good. Um, He said this, Following a list of rules is far easier than the difficult process of learning to apply principles. It is often a lazy substitute for the careful study and application of God's Word. We should strive to be like the Bereans, who were commended for their excited diligence in searching Scripture to verify the truth that they were being shown. God didn't give us a list of complex rules complete with a vast index to live the Christian life. There just simply isn't enough space to give us step-by-step instructions for every single situation. So, God gave to us a guide, a map. 
complete with principles that apply to every variation in every culture and time period that a person might experience. And I think you see that in what we studied this morning. There's a specific application in 1 Corinthians 11 that doesn't apply to us. But there are principles that do. And so with that, we have great freedom and liberty in Christ. But at the same time, we cannot ignore the cultural and social implications of many of the decisions that we make. And so I hope that that has been helpful to us. I um, wanted to uh, mention a couple of other thoughts here. Uh, proper motivation for modesty is a heart that has been captivated by Jesus. What motivates modesty in our life? A heart that truly wants Christ to be preeminent. A Christian view of modesty starts with the gospel. That's why we started this message tonight by saying you have to have a firm foundation in the gospel. And that, amazingly, we are connected to Christ in his death and resurrection. And we are adopted into God's family completely by his grace. After this inner transformation occurs, we are called to good works that show the reality of Christ's life within us. Among these good works are, number one, to deny ourselves, meaning not to walk in the flesh. Number two, that we glory in Jesus Christ, worshiping him above all else. And that number three, we put off the old man and we put on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so may that be said of us tonight as a body of believers who are growing. And we're growing in grace together. And as we reach uh, new believers and as we begin to disciple them, understand that that process doesn't happen all overnight. But that we're working with them, we're mentoring, and we're growing together. And I hope that this has been a help and a great review tonight. Let's have a word of prayer.